Welcome, church. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are today, at your home, presumably, as we are now in our second week of Corona Church, uh, COVID congregation. Uh, we are doing what we can right now to be the church uh, in these times, these difficult times where we are practicing social distancing and trying to make sure that we don't contribute to the spread of the virus. Um, and so we are all, what, two weeks in almost now, uh, where we are all binge watched out, binged eating, haven't had haircuts, looking frumpy, all kinds of just things that we didn't think we'd be dealing with uh, this spring, but here we are. And uh, yet God has things for us as we consider God's word today. I'm excited to bring you a message I'm entitling Viral Hope. Uh, this has been a serious time. These, this, these times have been uh, just concerning for so many people. When we think about this virus spreading across the world, it's affecting more than just physical health, isn't it? It's affecting the economy. It's, this, it's spreading fear. It's spreading panic. It's spreading insecurity. Uh, it's not just this infection, this disease that's going viral, but all kinds of different things are spreading with it. And it's incredible to think that all of this began, you know, back in, back in, I think, the late 2019 in a wet market in Wuhan. Someone had a hankering for some bat, apparently. So I don't know if that's a fact. Don't, don't at me, don't email me. Well, you can email me at seth.fancy.kingschurch.cc if you have a real issue with that. But I get thinking about this, where this originated, and, and we, we think about how much destruction and chaos and even death has already happened because of it. And you, you know, one wishes you could go back in time and just get to the start of it and get in front of it and we could just have avoided this whole thing. But uh, we can't go back in time. We can't go back and, and stop that from happening. But today I wanna ask the question, uh, what if we could find a hope that could actually outpace the, the speed of the virus? And what if we could find a hope that could outpace the speed of the fear and the speed of even economic chaos and all those things? What if we were able to, as believers, establish ourselves in hope right in the middle of this season in such a way that it actually absorbs, it actually becomes more contagious and more infectious than even the things that we're so afraid of right now because of the coronavirus. I wanna to talk today about viral hope, about this idea of what if hope went viral? What if we as the church took a hope, the hope that we have in Jesus, what would it look like if that went just absolutely because of this season further, faster than it ever has before. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that hope actually has the power to give life, that if you have hope, there is life. And, and in fact, it speaks of the loss of hope. It correlates that with death. It says in Proverbs that it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick that if we actually lose hope, that actually begins to diminish life. And to the degree you have hope is the degree that you have the promise of life. And uh, the, the Bible says that, that we're to set our hope in things that actually bring life, that, that it's a fool's errand to put our hope in things that aren't lasting or the things that don't have longevity. This is why it tells us in 1 Peter, if you have a Bible, you can take a look, we'll have it on, we'll have it on the screen as well. It says in 1 Peter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into, uh, say it out loud with me, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, verse 13 says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. 
Peter's telling us that where you set your hope sets your life. Where you set your hope, where you place your hope sets your whole life. And that the secret to life at all times, regardless of the circumstance, especially in trial, is knowing where or how or in whom to give or to put your hope. Today, for a moment, I just want to go to the Word of God and I want to root ourselves in a hope that I want to tell you is actually bigger and better and stronger and greater and more lasting than anything that we're going through right now, even in this season. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. I know so many of us are at our homes, you should have a Bible. If you don't, maybe you're new, maybe you're just tuning in uh, and someone shared this link with you and you found yourself watching a Christian sermon. You can go to uh, bible.com, blueletterbible.com, Bible Gateway, Uversion. There's all kinds of places you can find online to look up this. We have been journeying through a book in the Bible called Revelation. It's the last book. And we have been studying that actually since January. We felt led that this was going to be a season of revelation, that not just a study, but that God wanted to show us things. And we didn't realize what we were going to be going through this time this year. But we've been journeying verse by verse through this often mysterious, misunderstood, misapplied, misappropriated book. We've been journeying through it and finding it to be true to its name, that it's actually not for the purpose of confusing us or freaking us out, but it was actually given that we would have grace and peace in the here and now, and it would be it would provide insight into the times. That the book means apocalypsis, revelation means apocalypsis, unveiling. And this was actually given so that the church, us, Christians, could have insight into how things are beyond what we can see or even understand with our minds or in our physical eye. And so week by week, we've been journeying through this. And if you, if you go back to chapter one, we saw the revelation or the vision of the risen Christ. And that sets the stage for the whole book. This whole book hinges upon setting our sights and getting a vision of the risen Christ that becomes our whole new perspective on everything. We, we began this whole journey by saying, if you see Jesus, you can see everything. And then we turn to chapter two, and in chapter two, we begin to hear Jesus speak to the guy who wrote this book, John, and he gives him seven specific letters for seven churches that existed in AD 90 when this book was written. But we've learned over the last seven weeks as we've looked at each one individually, that these weren't just letters to a certain church at a certain time, but this was a letter to the church at all times. And we found out it had a thing or two to say to us, haven't we? And so here we are now in chapter four. We've done chapters two and three where the seven letters are happening. And we get here to chapter four. And I, I wanna tell you in chapter four and five, these are probably two of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Revelation chapter four and five. And it's funny, I never thought I'd say this, but Revelation is fastly becoming, quickly becoming one of my favorite books in the Bible as we are getting more understanding and God's been speaking to us through it. And here we are in four and five, and I'm just gonna let you know that today we're just gonna cover a couple verses, the first two verses in chapter four. And we're gonna take our good old time through chapter four and five because you, we're gonna get a glimpse of heaven. And if we can wrap our heads around it, it has the power to change everything. So we're gonna take our time, but here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. Grab a Bible, get it open in front of you. Maybe you're there with your family. Put it on your lap, put it on your coffee table. Let's read it together as a church family. Hey, we are 
ultimate multi-site today, aren't we? We are in hundreds of locations at once. This is awesome, but let's read the Word of God together. Again, if you're just joining us, we've been reading Revelation out loud because it says right at the beginning, he who reads this out loud, who hears it read out loud, and who obeys it actually receives blessing. And so we want to do that today. So I want to invite you right there in your home as a family. Maybe you're alone. It's not weird. Do it alone. Let's read this out loud together. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Why don't you read it with me. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door, standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So let's just stop there. Keep your Bible open. In fact, hopefully some of you were able to download the, the PDF, the note guide. You can fill it in as we go. And let's just study this for a minute and see if we can kind of get our heads around what John saw and how that will give us hope in the here and now. What did John see? Well, it says, I was speaking with Jesus. He's getting the letters from him. And then it tells us that a door opened in front of him. All of a sudden, right there in front of him, this door appears and it opens and Jesus then says these words. He says, come up here. I wanna show you something before these things take place. Now, it's very important that we get this. Jesus is not showing John at this point something that is to come. He's showing John what is actually currently uh, a reality. He's not showing him something that is to be uh, continued or that something's gonna happen. He's showing something that is currently established. Now, it's super important that you understand that because we're gonna get into things that are to come in the coming weeks. But this vision that John sees is heaven as it is right now. This isn't a someday thing. This is a present thing that John saw. He, he, he stepped through the door and he got a glimpse of what was actual in heaven, not what was coming on earth. And that's why is that important? It's important because Jesus wanted to show him this before he saw everything else. Why? This was going to be the thing that he needed to see in order to be able to go through and understand or even just grasp what it is he's about to walk through. It, I'm, I'm Full disclosure, Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way through to chapters 20, it gets pretty wild. John sees some unimaginable sights, some things that are very difficult to understand or even endure. And Jesus says, before you see this, before you see this unfold, I want you to see what is actual. Before you go through what you're gonna go through, I want you to know what is already established. He's saying, in effect, Jesus is saying, before you can do what is unfolding, before you can experience what's about to unfold, I wanna show you what's unmoving. Before you can see what's gonna evolve, I wanna show you what's established. And this is so important, why? Because John has to be rooted in a greater reality to go through his present condition. And Jesus takes this moment and he says, John, look, things are gonna get wild. Things are gonna get challenging. Things are gonna get hard to understand. Things are gonna get hard for some people to endure. But before you see that, you have to ground yourself in something greater. You need to ground yourself in what is unmoving before what's unfolding. And that's so important for us and that's a, that's a word for us today. Maybe the secret to going through life isn't getting our life in it just so, and it's not figuring out how to manage our circumstances. Maybe what we need to do is learn how to ground ourselves into a greater unmoving reality. 
Jesus flips a switch or opens a door and shows John something that is supposed to serve him as a life-giving counterweight, a hope that cannot be quenched, a living hope. When he sees the reality of heaven, he gets a vision of heaven. Today what I want to do is I want to just take that and I want to ask ourselves the question, is your hope, is our hope unmovable? Is it, is it, is it viral? Can it endure? Can it go through certain seasons? What's your vision of heaven? Have you rooted yourself in heaven? Have you rooted your life in the reality of heaven? Jesus says, in effect, before we experience what is to come, we have to know what is or who is. Now, I think one of the mistakes we make in life, and, and if you're like me, a lot of the time we don't give a lot of thought to heaven, do we? We think about heaven as something that's supposed to be after the fact. You know, I'll deal with that after I die. And that's sort of appropriate in the, in the, in the fact that after you die, you do experience the, the life to come. However, I think according to what Jesus does with John here, that's a big mistake for us to kind of disconnect the reality of heaven from the, our existence of this life. Jesus seems to want that to be front and center for him so that he will have power in this life. Many of us don't give a lot of thought to the reality of heaven, but if you read your Bible, it actually tells us to, to fixate on it, to set our hope on it. Check this verse out, Colossians chapter three. Look what it says, follow along on the screen. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What's the, what's the writer of Colossians, what's Paul saying? He's saying, fix your life, set your hope in Christ. It's established in a greater reality, one that is unmoving, and that sets us up to have power in life, even when we are in circumstances where we feel powerless, like some of us do right now. Your job's on the rocks, or maybe your health, you're concerned about your health, or the health of someone you love. When we set our hope in Christ and set our hope in heaven, our hope is safe no matter what our circumstances are. And this is what Paul is trying to get the Colossians to understand. This is what Jesus wants to get John to know before he sees the chaos of what's going to ensue, ensue later on in the book of Revelation. One of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, said it like this in Mere Christianity. I want to read the quote for you, but hey, you've got lots of time. Some of you, why don't you read the book this week? Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. But look what he says about the power of heaven to affect our lives right now. Let me read it. Lewis says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are the ones who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set out on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of heaven, of the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get some earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. 
I think this is such a great way of saying that heaven, when, we, when that occupies our minds, that's the very thing that empowers this life. It sets us free from fear. It sets us free from scarcity. It sets us free from insecurity. All the things that can engulf us and consume us when we set our mind and we place our hope in heaven, it takes us up and it puts our hope and our life in a safe place. And so today I thought, you know what we should do? We need to just think about heaven. We need to consider heaven. We need to set our hope there because listen, I don't know how things are gonna track over the next seven, 14, 21 days, we don't know. But what I do know is this, that there is a reality in heaven that belongs to us in Christ Jesus that is safe and we need to have that front and center in our minds and our hearts and it will give us the power to endure, to have perspective, to be selfless, to be generous, to be the type of people that actually don't run away from things that other people run away from because why? Because we are rich in heaven. We are safe with God in heaven. And so I want to think about heaven today. I want to just consider it. And I got three ideas as we consider this. I'm just going to go fast, take your note guide out and let's look at this. But I want to give you three heavenly hope builders for you today as we go through this season together. And the first is this, here's how we need to understand heaven. First and foremost, when we think about heaven, heaven, number one, is our residence. Heaven is our home. It's our actual home. It's our legitimate home. Heaven is our residence. The Bible, when it speaks of heaven, it actually speaks of heaven over 2,000 times. And specifically, it has a lot of things to help color in how we understand it. Heaven, when the Bible speaks of it, yes, it's a place, but it's bigger than that. It's a dominion. The same way for the first Christians when they would have received this letter from the Apostle John, the Revelation. They would have been living in, uh, in Asia at the time, but they would have been under the dominion of Rome. Rome was a place, but Rome was also a government and, a, and it was an empire. Very similar, the Bible speaks of heaven as a place, it's where God is, but God's dominion, God's rule and reign is also heaven. And so when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of it in those terms, but it colors it in even more clearly. First, if you're taking notes on your note guide, fill this in, heaven is our actual home. It's our legitimate home. It's where we belong. As Christians, that's where our citizenship is from. We are no longer primarily Canadian or American or Nigerian or, or, or French Villagian or Charlotte Countyan, whatever, whatever your, your background is. We are primarily Christian. We're, our citizenship is, is from heaven. And the Bible tells us over and over again to see ourselves that way. Hebrews 13, take a look at this verse. It says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly, eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible tells us that heaven is our actual home, that when we think about this life, we, we, we cling to the hope of heaven. We cling to the reality of heaven, but we keep an open hand on where we live. We love Canada. We love New Brunswick. We love Nova Scotia. We love the Maritimes. We love this land. God's called us to this place, but this is not our home. Make no mistake about it. Our job as Christians is to bring our home to this home. It's to bring the reality of heaven into this region. We are citizens of heaven, representatives of heaven that bring and establish the reality of heaven where God has planted us. Don't get it twisted. It's not about getting, it's not about getting, you know, 
New Brunswick into heaven, it's about getting heaven into New Brunswick. That's what we're called to. Heaven is our actual home. Second thing about heaven we need to understand is heaven is our ultimate or our eternal home. This is where we'll be forever. The Bible tells us that we're just pilgrims here. We're aliens, we're just passing through. Heaven is where we will always be. The Apostle Paul was writing to the, the church in Thessalonica and he said this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, and so we will be with the Lord, if you're reading along, say it, forever. We'll be with the Lord forever. This is temporary, that is forever. Don't we get that twisted? We, we act as though this is ultimate, that this is the ultimate reality, but in fact, the Bible has it, has it differently. When John, when the door opened up for John and he stepped through, he did not step through to a temporal reality, he stepped through to an eternal reality, one that is unchanging and unmoving, one that is always. And here's the third thought along those lines, heaven, see, is our exceptional home. It's greater, it's greater, not lesser. It's more, not less, and that's so important. This world, this life, the Bible tells us is the shadow. Heaven, God's reality, is the real thing. This is the mirror. This is the, the image that we see through, through a, a, a hazy mirror. Heaven, this is the reality, it's the ultimate reality. This is the one that points to the greater reality. This is what Paul is saying. Let's read another scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. This hopefully encourage you to help you understand that what you're going through is temporary and it's temporal, that what is promised to us is eternal. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies, get it, see it, these bodies are dying, must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled, death is swallowed up in victory. What does that mean? Um, the closest thing I heard one scholar say, you know, what does it mean that death is swallowed up in victory? The closest thing you and I who haven't died yet uh, would experience would be when you wake up from a dream that felt really real. You're in, a, you're in a dream and it feels so vivid and so real, it's tactile almost. It, it feels like everything. And then the moment you wake up, you realize that reality had swallowed up the dream world. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking about when he says, when heaven comes in its fullness or when you step fully into heaven, it is as though it has swallowed up the, the world of death the shadow world, the dream world, the mist world. And that's what we have to understand as, as all-encompassing and as, as like physical and as pressure-packed as this life can feel. Don't get it twisted. This is the shadow. This is the temporal. This is the temporary. Heaven is the ultimate. Heaven is our home and it is greater. You know, when I was growing up, I don't know where this came from, I don't know why, I came up with this idea, maybe you have too. I had this thought that heaven was some like lesser reality, that not just like more mystical and disembodied, which also isn't biblical, 
In fact, uh, when, when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks it again as more real, more actual. Uh, another great C.S. Lewis book is the, is the Great Divorce. It talks about how this, this character who goes from earth to heaven finds he's not substantive enough to actually experience heaven. He finds he's like this hollow ghost that needs to be recreated and real, rebuilt so that he can actually live in heaven. And that's kind of what God is doing for us. But I grew up with this idea or this notion that heaven was kind of a downgrade. That to go to heaven was like, oh man, well, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. And so I looked at it as like the lesser of two evils. I had this thought about heaven that it was like this disembodied, far away, never, never land where you go off in your dreams and you float on clouds and you're in this never ending church service that sounded a lot more like hell than it did heaven. And so I had this thought like, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go to heaven. I want to stay alive. But that's, that's really my, my thinking in it until I started reading the Bible. And the people who are closest to Jesus and the people who, who, who like, like Paul, for instance, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, you hear this guy talk. He speaks about a heaven that is far better than anything we'll experience here, that it's this supreme upgrade that in fact, it is so much better. He, he at one point said, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in heaven, but I have an assignment here. Therefore, I'm staying with you, Paul was speaking. Heaven is incredible. It's incredible. It's, we just get glimpses in this life. Think about the things you love the most in this world. Joy, laughter, health, uh, nature, scenery, family. What, what, pleasure, the things that, that are most great about this world that we know and love, those are the glimpses of what is to come. Those are the shadows of what is to come. Those are the teasers. They're the appetizers for the main course. This is what the Bible tells us. Heaven is so much better. Another book I'll recommend since you got lots of time is a book called Imagine Heaven by a guy named John Burke. And he goes around and he interviews all these people who had near-death experiences. And you know, as it goes, some of these were very convincing, but the overwhelming statement all of them had, these people who claimed to have died and, and doctors actually confirmed they were clinically dead, these people claimed to have died, gone to heaven, and come back to life. And, and again, I don't want to get into whether or not you, you trust it. I just want to tell you their testimony and you can, you can do with it what you will. Every single one of them said, I didn't want to leave. Every single one of them that said they, they'd actually experienced heaven. And Paul the Apostle, who actually had been to heaven, he says, didn't want to leave. Everybody who's experienced it said, why would I want to go back to what is lesser? Heaven is the greater reality. Set your hope, lift it up. Remind yourself that that what is to come is better. It is greater, it is more. Heaven is our home. Let's set our minds on it. Let me ask you a question. How would you deal with loneliness if you believe that heaven is your home? How would you deal with loss if you believe that heaven is your ultimate home? How would you deal with the fear of losing your, your materials or your, the fear of the economic crash or the fear of the coronavirus if you really believed that your ultimate home was secure in heaven? God wants to open a door in your mind that you could look through and see what is before you experience what is to come. Second idea is this. Let's move quickly. I'm, I'm going to be done in a minute. Heaven isn't just our residence. Number two, heaven is our return. Another R word, giving you good alliterations today. Another R word, return. Or if you want another R word that you can substitute in there, if you don't like that one, put in riches. Heaven is our return. Not in the sense of like, we're gonna return there. You've never been there yet. I mean like a, like a return on investment. 
that you, you get the payday, the payoff from living this life before God in faith. Heaven is our imperishable treasure. Our power from hope not only comes from realizing that heaven is the greater reality, but realizing that heaven is better, that heaven is our great return on this life. Think about it like this. And a lot of the time when we think, when we, we talk about dying, you know, talk about like cashing out of this life, that's having it backwards. When we die as believers, we're cashing in. We're actually like collecting. We're getting our, our great reward. We're getting our return. We're getting the, that which God has promised. And when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of it in terms of riches and treasure and joy and pleasure. Jesus one day, when, when the Bible records him on the cross and the, the, the thief is speaking, hey, would you remember me when you enter your glory? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He just used a word that, that he knew would work so you could understand it. But the Bible actually grasps that language. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, I've been reading that during these days, almost on a daily basis, says that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Revelation 21 and 22, we'll get there who knows when, but when we get there, you're gonna see it's grasping at language of the new creation, grasping at language. It's, it's trying to describe, it takes the, the most beautiful materials on earth and says, you know what, the roads, they were like gold and the walls were like jasper and carnelian. They were these precious stones and, and I, you know, the things that we create wars over on earth are building materials in heaven. That's the language the Bible uses. Don't get it twisted. Heaven is this immense return. It talks about mansions and joy and true community and true life and laughter, love, never ending, never fading, glory, all of it. Jesus one time when he was teaching his disciples, they were, he was talking to them in the Sermon on the Mount about how to live your life. And then he talked about like pointing your life and investing your life. And look what he says in Matthew 6, read along with me. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus in effect is saying, you are a fool if you invest your best and you invest your life in what is temporary. He's saying, you're nuts, what are you doing? Heaven is what's imperishable. Heaven is everlasting. It's not just better, it'll, it'll last forever. It's your overwhelming treasure. Live your life, invest your life, invest your best in the things of heaven. And Jesus says, you will not regret it, but you will regret if you hold on tight to this life and you have a loose hand on heaven. We have it backwards so often. Maybe this is a time, maybe the coronavirus is a time for the church to actually look at like what we're, what we're grasping and what we're holding with an open hand. Maybe there's some things in your life that you're holding on to tightly that God's like, Jesus would say, that doesn't even matter. Like, let go of that. Cling to the hope that we have in the kingdom of God. Cling to the reality of heaven. You know, there's, a, there's an adage the kids say about eight years ago, YOLO, you only live once. It's not, it's not cool anymore, I don't think. Anyway, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not cool anymore, that's just a fact. But YOLO means you only live once, or, or maybe older people like me, like it's like the, what would you do if you live like you were dying, in the words of Tim McGraw? You know, if you have one day left, how would you live? And you know, that, that makes good sense. It kind of puts the value of life in perspective, and I get that. But maybe a better question for us believers isn't, you know, how would I live if I only lived once or I only have one day? Maybe the better question for us to ask is, how would I live if I knew I was gonna live forever? 
How would I live if I knew that I was gonna have pleasure forevermore at the right hand of the Father? How would I live if I knew that, you know what, my inheritance is secure, that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places? How would I live if I knew that I was going to live forever? I think it has the power to change everything. I think it means that I have hope today, even as I'm watching, you know, my RRSP and my retirement kind of dwindle with the stock market. Even as we see the, the count of how many people have the virus rise, it's incredible when I think about, you know what, the, the, the totality of my life is not subject to what is going on in, in today's circumstances. What hope? That's incredible. It's incredible. If we can kind of take our minds to heaven, it has the power to give us great hope. I think one of the reasons we don't think about it often is that we have a hard time imagining it. We've never been there. We, the Bible even has a hard time giving us language to wrap our heads around it. I mean, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But how can we wrap our heads around something that the Bible says clearly that you haven't even like conceived, you haven't even dreamed what this is like? I think that's one of the reasons, honestly, we don't give it a lot of thought. It's like, I just, how can I think about something I don't understand or know? But the Bible gives us some help. It actually tells us more about what isn't there in some ways. And that's one of the ways that you and I can help encourage ourselves when we begin to think of heaven. I don't understand or know all the things that are there, but the Bible's very clear about what isn't there. Look at what it says in Revelation 21. It says in verse four that Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So there'll be no more tears. And there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, if you think about death, sorrow, crying, and pain, tears, those are pretty big buckets that I can put just about everything that I hate in this world into, can't you? If I can just say, like, these are like vacuum cleaners, death, sorrow, pain, tears, and we just point them at all the things that can cause that, and we swallow those up and what's what remains. Like if we start to do like a, a heavenly deduction, what, would the, what encouragement would come into your mind when you get thinking about what is not in heaven? When you think about there's no, no tears, that means that there's joy. That means there's unspeakable joy. Like think about this. Let me just, let me just paint the picture for you for a minute. Right there, in your, right there in your living room. Close your eyes and just imagine with me a place where there's no illness, no viruses, no decay, no rust, no breaks, no bruises, no loss of sight, no hearing loss, no aging, no wrinkles, no aches, no pains, no weight issues, no joblessness, no job loss, no hospitals, no prisons, no locked doors, no locks needed, no oncology ward, no chemotherapy, no stock market, no, no heart monitors, no wheelchairs, no canes, no crutches, no work safe, no unemployment, no poverty, no recessions, no divorce court, no orphanages, no food banks, no homeless shelters, no police, no judges, just one good judge, no politicians, no failure, no regrets, no embarrassment, no shame, no humiliation, no feeling less than, no degradation, no injustice, no racism, no gangs, no crime, no shooting, no protests, no insults, 
No fascism, no socialism, no violence, no abuse, no politics, no accidents, no disasters, no wars, no famines, no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no loss, no death, no problems. That's pretty incredible. I might not be able to envision what is there, but when I start to, to do the math on what isn't there, it starts to become a place that I really want to set my sights on. Let me challenge some of you with this. Maybe this will be a reminder for you today, a resetting of your hope. Maybe this is, some, is the Lord wanting to give you an opportunity to not waste your eternity by blowing your life on things that won't last. Let me remind you that heaven is not just our residence, heaven is our return. And here's the last thought, number three, write this down. Heaven is our reward. Heaven is our reward. It's our unimaginable glory. And what I mean that's different from reward and return. Well, return, I was thinking about riches. I was thinking about stuff and substance. But when I think about reward, I'm more talking about fulfillment, purpose, satisfaction, acceptance, accomplishment. Those things that we look to stuff to fill. Those, those desires that are deep inside of our soul, that those needs, those longings that for, for purpose, those longings to be accepted, those long, longings to know people and be known by people, the, the longing to hear, you know, you're, you're worth something, that you matter, that you did a good job. Heaven, the Bible says, is the moment that that comes into fullness, that we receive the, 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 the satisfaction and fulfillment that only God can give us. The Bible says that one day we will see Jesus face to face. It actually later on in Revelation, it's this beautiful picture in, in, in chapter 22. It tells us that they, being the Christians, will see his face. You will see Jesus' face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Meaning that like, not only does, are you his possession, but like you're a prized possession. He knows you. There's an intimate knowledge of you. The Bible says that one day we will not just be with him, but we will hear, well done. Imagine what that would be like. Like Jesus tried to describe it in a parable. He said in Matthew 25, he said, the master talking about how the one person stewarded their life before the master well. It says the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now, I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Imagine what your soul would feel like. I don't know, if you ever had somebody that you really looked up to or someone that you really admired come to you and put their arm around you and say, man, you matter. Or maybe you, you've had the, the, the luxury or the privilege of having somebody who's accomplished great things look to you and say, hey, you did a great job. That fills us, doesn't it? There's something that, like as a child, maybe you, you benefited from having a mother that just knew when you needed a word of encouragement. It does something in our souls, but can you imagine what it would feel like when the one who formed you in your mother's womb, when the one who knit you together, when the one whom you were his idea, your designer, your creator, your heavenly father, your savior, when he looks you in the eye and he says, well done. Can you imagine what that would feel like in your soul? Heaven, the Bible tells us, is the place where we receive our reward. It's where we receive unimaginable glory, where the radiance of God's glory, we stand fully in his acceptance and his pleasure. Imagine what that would do for you. How would you change your life if, if you knew that, you know what? 
my one job and my one aim is to please him and to hear well done. Wouldn't that free you up from so many of the things you strive and toil to do in this life? It would set you free. You see, in heaven, we have the possibility of having a hope that cannot be touched regardless of the circumstances. Let me ask you this question as we come to a close and I pray for you today. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Get exposed to the reality of heaven today. Maybe today God wants to open a door and he wants you to actually get exposed to this idea, this reality, this hope of heaven, that you could actually get infected and affected by it and that you would have a hope inside of you that's greater than any virus that is going around the world, that's greater than the fears that are coming with it, the uncertainty, the unknown, the panic, the economic pressures, the, all the things, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus in heaven has the power to supersede it. It could be an antibiotic for the chaos in this world, an antibody that you could, you could ingest and take in, get it in your system, get it in your bloodstream, take it with you, you can have a hope that cannot perish, spoil, or fade because it is secure in heaven. I wonder if today God doesn't want for you, just like John, to open a door in your mind, to close your eyes and envision the reality that then I saw a door before me. And Jesus said, I want to show you this before these things take place. And I saw a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. There is one seated on the throne in heaven. He's not pacing. He's not biting his nails, wondering how this whole coronavirus thing's gonna play out. He is seated on the throne of heaven. The earth, the Bible says, is his footstool. Take your mind up today. Allow this reality to settle deep within you. Let it absorb it, take it in. And then let's be contagious. Let's be infectious. What would it be like if we let the hope of heaven affect us in such a way that we could infect others? What would it be like if the church was this viral agent of hope? You know, that was the design, right? When Jesus came to the disciples, he said, I died for you, I rose for you, I'm giving you new life, and now here's your job. Go, do not practice social distancing. Bring the good news and take it wherever you go. Knock on doors, tell people about the hope they can have in Jesus. I'm not suggesting right now that you need to leave your home. I'm saying Jesus wants you to take the hope. Email someone, tell someone about Jesus. Share this message, whatever you have to do, just get the message out. We have the hope, we have the antidote. We might not have, you know what, an antibiotic. We might not have uh, the, the medicine, uh, the, the things that's gonna actually deal with COVID right now. We pray that that happens. But what we do have is we have the medicine for despair and we have the medicine for fear and we have the medicine for chaos and panic and it's the reality of heaven that has been purchased for us in King Jesus. Let's be infectious. Let's be viral with hope today. My hope today for you is as you take your mind up and you set your mind on things above where Christ is seated, that you see your hope is secure and that as you let that absorb into your life, that you'd be filled with new strength, you'd be filled with peace that cannot be st stuck in the circumstances of life, that you can actually overcome these things because you have a hope that is greater. So I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray for us, and I wanna ask that God this week would fill you with hope like never before. Would you pray with me? Come on, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you're with your family, grab hands, and let's just pray, and let's ask that the God of peace would fill us with hope today. Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you that, Jesus, you, out of your goodness and grace, left what is yours in heaven, and you came and you took on 
earth, you took on death, you took on sin, you took on sickness and disease, you took it all upon yourself so that you could make a way for us to be with you forever in eternal life and joy and pleasure forevermore in heaven. God, would this time be a season where we untwist our priorities, where we untwist our perspective, where we take our minds up, where, Lord, you would lift our heads and our perspective. Your, your word tells us, Jesus, that you set us high upon the rock. God, I pray today that even as we've considered your word, Lord, I pray that in our minds and our spirits, we would see a door open before us and we get a fresh glimpse of the throne of heaven and the one who is sitting upon it. Lord, I pray right now that it, as that door opens and light would rush in, would it expel the darkness that is filling people's minds and hearts? Lord, would it uproot and take out despair? Would it remove confusion? Would it remove exhaustion and anxiety and all the things that are, are the byproduct of this hour we are currently in? Father, I pray that hope would rush in today by the power of the truth of your word through the presence of your Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you today for hope. We receive it fresh right now, Lord, into our homes, into our families, into our bodies, into our minds. We receive fresh hope right now today in Jesus' name. And now God, we pray that hope would so fill us that it would fill us to overflowing, that we'd be able to actually be generous. We'd be able to be selfless. We'd be able to reach out to people that no one else thought of that God, we could actually be like you, Jesus, in this hour, being agents of hope, agents of reconciliation, kingdom contagions in the name of Jesus. So Father, thank you today for the truth of your word. Empower us as we go this week. And Father, we do ask in Jesus' name for mercy with this virus. And we ask that it would come to an end, Lord. But we thank you that our hope is secure regardless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.